0: Welcome to Magic Talk. My name is Ensign Chen. Thank you for tuning in. Today, you're about to listen to a conversation between myself and Armando Lucero. Armando is known to many as one of the world's legendary sleight of hand artists, an incredible performer in magic, and uh, he's also one of my earliest mentors. His thinking has deeply influenced my approach in magic and in art. In the conversation you're about to listen to, he shared a lot of insights in regards to sharing his creative process, tips on practicing and perfecting his own unique approaches, as well as some of the stories that uh, led him to where he is today. So I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation and you're going to get a lot out of this one. So I'm going to keep the introduction short and uh, let's get into it. Hello. Hello, Armando. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks. uh, Good, good, good. Good to hear that. I got a question for you. Um, what do you think are the problems with magicians learning on YouTube these days?
1: Oh, well, where do I start? <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with, uh, uh, learning by, you know, emulating what you enjoy. Um, but sometimes, um, when you learn from like a video from YouTube, you can instantly rewind and, uh, rewind Uh, uh, offers you the opportunity to back-engineer things before you have a chance to think about them. So there's very little thinking going on. There's just, uh, you know, a lot of exposure with no thinking. And then there's not much learning uh, uh, on the creative process. So videos are sense-making tools because they do not um, represent what a real performance, live performance uh, experience is. A real live performance experience uh, y- uses your mind and your eyes and your ears, you know, your physical body to, uh, to watch the, the show and then make sense of it. And what most people forget is that, uh, you know, you're constantly filtering, filtering information in your mind. So you never really get the whole picture. And we as magicians work within the boundaries of our perceptions and video records everything and video offers rewind. In a real live show, you would never push a button and say, excuse me, Mr. Performer or Mrs. Performer, would you like uh, go back five seconds so I can see that again? And uh, we would never do that. We all know why, because it's susceptible you know to uh being to discovery um you if they review it enough times eventually you know everything uh, everything starts to be revealed and even worse people today you know they watch on an iphone which is not the big picture and you know biologically uh, uh I talked to an i Eye scientist. And he said the same thing that I said, he said the proximity makes a difference. So if you're watching an iPhone versus a live show, which takes on your full proximity, uh, visual proximity, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. going to be influenced differently, because you'll see things differently than in a s- small uh, square, because you can catch more things. Um, not to mention that you don't have all the pop and circumstance of the preparation that gets you in the mood to enjoy something, you know? So let's say, you know, you reach a particular piece that's supposed to be the finale, but you've had all the show to prepare you to enjoy and, and um, appreciate what's about to happen. You know, you've been primed basically. Uh, and when you catch a video that has none of that, you're basically missing out on all the preparation. So you're not even ready to watch it with great appreciation. And most people, you know, when they uh, watch magic on a video, you know, they're, uh, they're probably eating a hamburger, drinking a Coke, talking to their friends, and they're constantly distracted. There's no focus. And I mean, this is how um, people are now being watched, you know, and judged. Oh, that's, that's pretty good. Okay, let's rewind. Go five seconds. Oh, I got it. I, I got it. I got it. I know everything now. <laughs> right. Even worse, you know, um, by the time they get to the end, uh, they, uh, they they can't be astonished. So they they skip the astonishment. Uh, and some people do, you know, some people will scan through the entire video to skip everything and just get to the ending because they're, right. they just want to get to the ending, Right. And so they miss all those moments uh, where seeds of deception are planted in order to create the illusion. So since you miss it, you're not going to be fooled. And then, and then you pat yourself in the back and say, oh, I, I'm so smart, I figured it out. When really, they didn't figure anything out. Anybody could do that. Um, I think videos are v- very much like instructional videos, any videos, even if they're not giving the instructions away, because they offer rewind and it doesn't take long to discover, uh, you know, what's going on. If you rewind a few times.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's 99.9% of magic videos.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's funny that I have, uh, you know, people still asking me how do, how do I protect my work on a video? <laughs> and It's kind of ironic that they would ask me that because you can't, you can't do it. Um, mm-hmm. So how did this come to be? You know, uh, everybody is hungry to be popular, to get their information out, to be known. So hence we have social media. Um, But there is a problem with that when it comes to magic, deception. Magic um, has been around for a long time, uh, but never before until the age of social media and recordings, even before social media, the videotapes. And the television uh, allowed people to see rewinds, uh, so every piece of magic that's ever been recorded suffers from this. We're talking about Mark Wilson, uh, Doug Henning, uh, you know David Copperfield, David Blaine, and anybody who you know uh, submits recordings on social media.
0: Oh yeah,
1: they, they will eventually suffer the rewind problem.
0: Right. There's another. I mean, I think there's another more uh, subtle issue here. I don't know if you noticed this, but um, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Do you notice people reacting to even live magic differently now that the way they consume information has been different?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's it's subtle. Yes, you're right. And it's one of those things that unless you have lived many years, uh, it's hard to tell. But I know that I've talked to Johnny Thompson, uh, you know, before he passed away and I talked to a few older people and they kind of sense it too. They tell me there's something different and it's almost like uh, things have become nullified. Uh, a bit. Mm. People don't know how to react the same way when they watch something live. They're so used to being passive uh, uh, viewers now. Um,
0: and or the, they it's, just got numb from, you know, maybe, watching explosions to cars to girl videos to cat videos and
1: Yes, it's it just
0: became right, 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 right. And then,
1: yeah, that with so much information available, things are not as special as they used to be. Um, so, you know, right. uh, uh, I, I give an example. So Bach, when uh, when Bach was learning music, you know, I remember reading a passage where he had to, you know, jump in, in a horse and carriage and, and uh, travel like four hours to go see a concert you know, and and, you know, all these musicians were performing, they they had to work hard to get there, you know, and then he had to, you know, ride four hours back after it was done. He had no recording devices. You know, he had to actually sit down on his uh, instrument and play everything and try to remember it uh, Mm -hmm. and then write it down and and reconstruct so he can study the music. So that's how it was back then for him. You know, can you imagine, how special that was because he couldn't just, you know, turn on the radio. He couldn't just, you know, uh, put, turn, uh, put the computer on and <laughs> click on iTunes. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and now we're spoiled, yeah. right? We, we, right. We, we have access to all that information. So I, I do think that it it made us a bit spoiled.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, but well, I think, okay, so this is interesting. I mean, you, the way you learn from what I understand, is quite the opposite of that like while most magicians or most people in magic would this youtube or social media and kind of praise books you kind of commented that books are just the youtube of yesterday but then even yeah. so so i think i
1: think <laughs> yes
0: right but then fair enough but then yeah let's talk about how you developed your work because you didn't read that many magic books, did you?
1: No, I purposely started putting down the magic books uh, after a while. But I, I should I should say something about books. Books aren't bad. And neither are videos. None, none of them are bad. It's the way we learn that can be uh, bad or good. Uh, that is the problem. So at the at the time when I was learning, I, I didn't understand a lot. So I uh, had a feeling that if I... Was getting the information from books and all the secrets were being revealed to me, that I was missing out on something. I wasn't sure what it was, but you know I like to playfully back engineer stuff when I was around friends when I was around 15 mm-hmm. years old, and and then it uh, it occurred to me that after a while I started improving. I wasn't sure what was happening. Uh, I was just I was just too young to understand but after a while i realized uh, that i am improving and on that alone i decided you know to stop uh reading the secrets uh, from magic books and um and i wanted to give myself the opportunity to to discover for myself and i remember telling a friend about this and he says uh, you're doing it the wrong way you're going backwards you know you're going to rediscover stuff everybody else has discovered what's the point i said the point is that uh I got to discover it, and I went through the process. Uh, and later on, I understood it, uh, you know, much more deeply because uh, I I'm, I read and met some people who were into the same kind of stuff. And eventually, I realized what I was doing was learning how to think, basically, mm-hmm. instead of just mem- memorization and execution, which is usually how school is set up. Because there's so many people, it's hard to get uh, ex to to offer exercises to get people to think what what do do you do when you go to a school you know they they put up a math problem and before you have a chance to attack and figure it out for yourself they go and this is how it's done
0: (laughs) so here's the formula
1: memorize the formula so it's just memorization and execution but in the real world we have to think uh if we want to survive we have to be really good thinkers and unfortunately uh you know, uh, I didn't have anybody telling me that at the time, uh, but I I did discover it for myself, and eventually I used that. Uh, maybe I went too far because I stopped uh, watching videos and and books, and I just started doing things on my own. And when I whenever I had a chance to watch live performance, I would, and then try to discover what was going on for myself, and that's how I learned uh, for a long time until later on. Uh, then it was too much; I couldn't stay away from social media. You know was all around me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. now, uh, now I'm free to watch a lot of stuff. I don't mind. Uh, but, but back then, uh, I, I do think that I, uh, was able to exercise my creative process a lot more than if I did not do that.
0: Right. And how did you think that influenced your work as an end result?
1: Oh, okay. So, if you're learning by memory and execution it, you kind of reach a point where you plateau because there's no more uh books that are going to go beyond that um right. and so you plateau uh but if you are learning to think for yourself you know uh you, you won't plateau you just keep going so that's how it benefited me i think um uh, and you know if i want to find uh, uh if i want to solve a problem uh i don't have to really uh, you know look for it in a book you know, it usually just comes to me, um, you know, that that sounds like like I'm bragging, but really, that's how it is, you know. Uh, And I know you Mm -hmm. experienced that, too. And you've been feeling that. So uh, in that way, uh, we are similar. Um, But anybody who learns to discover things, you know, they enjoy the discovery. So it's almost like a challenge that it's a playful challenge. You want to be able to find it for yourself, even if it's already
0: discovered. Right, right, right. But also, one thing I've noticed about you, and I, I, definitely picked this up from you, is that you sit with a problem for a long ass time. Like you just—that's <laughs> <like, laughs> true. You right? just sit there for weeks. You know, like so. What's what's kind of your process in in that? Because okay, I wanna I wanna kind of like put this in context in the sense that you're 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 the person that I know who practices probably the most, but at the same time you don't practice like you don't really do repetitive practice. So oh. <laughs> do you want to talk about that?
1: Well, I haven't thought about it that way. I don't do repetitive. Let me think about that. I don't do repetitive process. Well, uh,
0: what, what I mean is that you seem to be constantly working on something, but in the, in the working of it,
1: oh, that's you true. get your practice yeah. in. Well, uh, I suffer from, you know, getting bored if if it's the same thing over and over again. So Uh, that could be a good thing and a bad thing for me. I, you know, if I get bored, uh, I'm hungry for something new, you know, so I I just have to, you know, find something um, uh, which, which is a problem because uh, for example, right now, I have the hungry imagination and and I have some unfinished works, but I know they are the the pieces are already finished. I just have to complete them for the hunger imagination. So sometimes I just get, well, I've already done this. (laughs)
0: So
1: so Mm -hmm. why am I still on this? (laughs) I want something new. And uh, that could be a problem. Uh, and, and so in the learning part of, of all of this, it, it requires discipline to balance the two, uh, you know, having to force yourself to finish something, even though you've got it complete in your head, you got to put it down. And if I want to share it, you know, that's what I have to do. And, and preparing for shows is the same thing. Um, but yeah, I'm always looking for something new. Uh, and that's just, that's just part of what I really enjoy is, uh, you know, creating compositions. Uh, and, and I, uh, um, I guess you could say that in the field of magic, I, I don't just want to perform a trick. I, I want to also find, you know, other ways to do it. Uh, compositions. Right.
0: Right. 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 I'm
1: really hungry for that. Like I can't help it. Uh, so right. Yes. Problem, I'll try to find the, a, a solution for it. And what's interesting too, the more um, the more problematic, the better the solution usually is. You know, that if I have a difficult problem uh, that that is hard to solve, I know there's a beautiful solution behind it because it's such a difficult problem.
0: hmm mm-hmm.
1: And it happens the, so
0: often. Yeah. Was the was the coin menagerie that you you teach in the workshop one of those things that in in the yeah. I know it's a long time.
1: Yeah, it's been a long journey. Definitely. And I I still find touches on it, even to this day, uh, because magic, uh, unlike a lot of other art forms, um, magic is both an art and a science. They they are both together. So there's always room for discovery on how to improve the deception, uh, especially learning about heuristics and psychology. You can, you can look at a trick over and over again. And then as you evolve and learn more, you go, wow, I see a weakness there. I can improve that. And you can go back and clean it up, fix it. And so uh, the process continues for a long time until you stop learning, of course, but hopefully you continue to learn.
0: Yeah. So what was the, what was the process like? I mean, I, I know we're talking about probably a 20 year process here. But what was the process of your coin matrix, basically coin menagerie? Like, did you, how did you first come across it, and how did you decide? I think this is something I want to develop.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I know you already know some of it, so I'll uh, just uh, refresh. Uh, right. So I was uh, at a, I hired at a high school grad night, you know, to entertain the kids there. This was in uh, around 1988, around there, and I was doing a very basic coin matrix, and uh, uh, and uh, but I would, you know it was very it was just a one phase matrix, uh, nothing elaborate. Uh, you know there were quite a few kit matrices out there, and I was just I wasn't doing anything specifically special that was you know outlandishly different from everybody else. I don't think but you know it was a fuller and uh, people liked it so uh unfortunately unfortunately they kept following me around like the pipe piper and they requested that i do that trick over again well i didn't really want to do it for the same people over again because you know it's not as deceptive so i thought right you know, the same exact moves for the same people um but i couldn't stop them from peeking through the crowd and uh I, uh what was interesting what, what surprised me is that uh, the biggest reaction I got was from the people who saw it the second time, not the people who saw it the first time. And I went, what is that? <laughs> I didn't know what was that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to discover w- why. And, and I realized I wasn't sure why, you know, I, I had some ideas, but I wasn't really sure. And so uh, that took me on a journey to, d- to discover. And that's when I decided at that point, I decided I was going to study magic uh, academically, not just uh, as a as an art form. I was going to just try and understand it deeply. So I started going around asking people about this, and, and they just go, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And, and we'd philosophize about it. Some of them had some pretty good answers. Uh, but I noticed that most people weren't concerned with the academic side, uh, and they didn't have uh, the the answers to give me and uh, some of the books w- were were nice, but um, I know Tomdies uh, touched upon some of this stuff at that time I didn't I wasn't reading Tom Adies, Uh and uh, so what happened was I just started from scratch I decided, okay, I'm gonna start with the most basic so I reduced it to the minimum that you can perform with four coins and four cards. And I asked myself why cards? with four coins, why not just four coins with hands? And I realized cards is another dimension that you add. A dimension that, that adds four items, but doesn't feel like you're adding, it's so minimal uh, to our heuristics. And I started realizing how we started to filter information. So um, ironically, you're giving yourself more opportunities for deception with moves when you add four cards while appearing to make it more impossible for the audience which is kind of ironic you know so you make it easier for yourself yet you, you, it, it looks to the audience that you're making it more difficult for yourself which, right right oh, yeah uh, and i realized that's that's it that's why so i had more opportunities with the cards then i you know i could have i could have done it with cups and balls i could have done it with a uh, card trick i could have done it with something else but I just gravitated to the coins because at that moment at the high school, that's what was in my head. And so I happened to start with the matrix. And as I started to progress, I started to find, you know, certain techniques and moves that were uh, 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 best suited for what I wanted. And then I, I was learning at the same time, you know, how to perform, how to express myself, and all, all these uh, layers uh, were working in tandem together, you know, like in concert, like
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. so you have the deception, you have the technique, and you have the performance, and they all have to fit together. Uh, and even the spaces are important, just like in music. And I started to make my way to find the first piece, but there was something missing. I couldn't figure it out. And uh, I came back to that question why did they enjoy it the second time more than the first time. And I realized. Because the first time they see it, they are not ready to appreciate all the work because they don't have the questions and the answers to uh, of education of the impossibility to understand how deep it is they don't have it yet. It's a, it's a surprise usually the first time there's too much information going on. so. Even their mind is saying that's impossible. I don't believe it happened, and they're questioning them themselves. And they go, "No, no, no, no. There's got to be extra coins. There's got to be a gimmick. It's got to be up your sleeve." They just don't believe what they saw.
0: Right, right, right.
1: So then I realize that's that's the answer. There's not enough education for them to appreciate what has happened. And now I I adopt that, and I realize uh, when I if somebody does a really good effect and they're not getting a strong reaction, maybe it's because it's too much too soon. Maybe very often. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, then I realized I have to come up with a second phase. All right. But I had a problem with the, uh, the, the, the first phase, the first phase uh, was basically the coins gathering. And so I thought, okay, I need more. So I said, they're going to gather and they're going to jump back. All right, so um, a backfire. However, uh, the choreography demanded, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't solve it, demanded that I couldn't finish with the, the last coin vanishing um, and, and, and appearing under the, the four so I can turn that card over and show actually four coins gathered. I kept thinking about kept thinking about it. And so I took a step back. Because as you know, my habit now is, uh, I, I like to say, think like, like a mouse, but don't forget to think like an eagle. And yeah. So, yeah. So I vacillated back and forth. Uh, and I realized as I stepped back to get a big look at this, I, I realized my first phase is not a first phase. It's a second phase. I need to find a first phase before that one. So the, what I thought was the first phase was actually the second phase but I didn't know that at the time. So then I said, okay, what, what is required for a first phase? It's an introduction to the coins, the story of the coins of them coming together. Well, it has to be quick because it's more of an abstract of the entire piece. It's just, you know, the beginning of the story. Uh, I'm telling this, telling a story. This is what it's about. Coins gathered together. Boom. That's the beginning. Now, how the hell do I do that?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: so. At the time, I had never seen anybody do that, so that was really quite an adventure, you know, to be, um, you know, to, to be able to uh, have something that uh, you hadn't seen before.
0: Yeah, it's I proper loved- proper problem solving, right there. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, it was a beautiful journey. Uh, I mean, you know what it's like when you find a problem that nobody has yet yet discovered or has challenged yet. Uh, it's beautiful because you you're in an area that nobody's tapped yet, and it feels really clean, like, wow, nobody's, nobody's been on this snow before.
0: (laughs) Right, right, right.
1: And so that's what I felt like. Uh, Of course, now today, there's a lot of them, but, you know, Mm -hmm. at the time it was new for me. And so I started playing around with techniques um, and uh, some some of those techniques now are all over the world as, uh, as you know, so I, I feel like I've had some influence and that makes me feel very proud. But the at the time it was really hard to find those those moves. I did I didn't know whether they would work or not, uh, and so I had to practice them until they were clean enough that I could do them. Because it doesn't work if you just do them ha- haphazardly.
0: Yeah, of uh, course.
1: I had to I had to go. I didn't even know if they're going to work, but I had to put in the time to do to get them technically uh, uh, to the point where where. I could actually do them, and then I tested them, uh, and uh, sometimes I failed, sometimes I didn't, but I realized after a while the technique wasn't the problem, the focus was, so then I started learning about psychology, and uh, basically what I'm telling you is that through my journey, I'm starting to unravel the mysteries that I was looking for, so I learn about the heuristics of the mind, how we filter information and uh, learn how people started focusing on certain areas Uh, um, and I learned that novelty attracts attention and banality doesn't and uh, Mm -hmm. then I learned to to dance between those two to keep a balance and and uh, manipulate perceptions by influencing them with where they focus so you know where I point how I move my hand basically all the things that magicians know and do but maybe can't put into words maybe. yeah, and, and so all magicians do it, but uh, they have a hard time explaining it. And I wanted to actually talk about it. I wanted to put it in words, because if I can clearly put it in words for myself, then I have uh, the, uh, I actually have strong ideas that I can use as my tool set. Um, I can label them and then, and play with them much more readily. If I understood them verbally that way. And so that helped. So I started learning, mm-hmm. about, you know, synchronized coupling, uh, intersecting moments, uh, you know, um, the um, primacy and recency effect, uh, which actually is a scientific term, I started using science too. So uh, I was reading about science, and science has a lot to offer for magic, but magic has a lot to offer science as well. And uh, and I was using scientific terms in front of magicians, and they would go, "I've never heard that. What's that?"
0: <laughs> right, guess, right. Are you just
1: making this up? No, it comes from science, uh, like change blindness. You know, that's a change blind moment. They go, "What the hell is that?" You know, and then they would they would reference some uh, book from magic that referenced it in a different way, and and uh, so there's some crossover for magic and science.
0: Um, so the journey, the journey that you've developed is, you know, the technical development, the psychological development, the creative development, and the kind of like scientific understanding that kind of like bleeds into your work. Eventually yes. led you to, uh, was it Stockholm FISM? Oh where, yeah, Stockholm FISM. Pe- yes. That was that. That was when people discovered you, and um, and it just all blew up right like i i I heard reports about (laughs) yeah all all the way in hong kong uh before i knew you i heard about this guy who's at fism and just blowing everybody away and crowds would form around you wherever you go and you would like just get standing ovations (laughs) everywhere and then like grown men would weep uh upon seeing your performance. so what was
1: stories (laughs) i did
0: i did i did i um I'm surprised if I didn't tell you, but, but what was that like? You know, you weren't new and you've been developing that material for a long well, time. So what was, it was that?
1: Like? It, yeah, it was, it was great validation for me. I knew I had something, but I didn't know how relevant it was for other magicians, nor how powerful it would be uh, uh, for them as well. I didn't know because I was performing, uh you know professionally in las vegas and performing you know in different parts of the world but i i had not performed for magicians for a long time i never took it upon myself to you know go out and perform for magicians uh i just had very few uh, moments where i did that so i didn't know um and when i got invited to fism it was it, it was a, a call from hilbert hilbert Geerling who said uh uh uh, my friend Dan Lefe told me that I have to bring you to um, to FISM, and this is two months before FISM in the Den Hague, uh, and and I said, okay, I can go. And he says, uh, uh, unfortunately, I don't. I can only cover your flight and hotel, but that's it. Is that okay? I said, yeah, that's sure, that's fine. So I flew out there, and I brought a sound system and a and a mic <laughs> that I can carry around, which was. Like unheard of at that time, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and I, I asked him, "What do you want me to do?" And he says, "Well, what did you do for Dan Lefay?" I said, "Well, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I was stopped at the McDonald's at the local convention, magic convention over there, World Desert Seminar at the time, and uh, they asked me to do something." And uh, Paul Harrison and and, uh, um, and uh, uh, Tommy Wonder and uh, Vani Bossi were there too. So it was Dan Lefay, uh, Paul Harris, and I started performing oh, for them. Yeah, yeah. Funny crowd, right? Interesting <laughs> crowd. Yes. Uh, that was, that was where Paul Harris said, Hey, with all those moves, can, can you do an instant matrix? I said, I don't know. Let me, you know, an instant matrix vanish. And, uh, and I said, I don't know, let me try it. And, and uh, that's where that uh, piece came from, you know? Uh, wow. Uh, yeah. That's where it came from. That was, that was the moment that it happened. Uh, and so uh, Dan Lefay saw all that. And so he said, "You got to bring him to FISM." So I said, "Okay, I'll go." Uh, you just want me to perform walking around? He says, "Yeah, that's all I, I want you to do." So I arrive, and there's like two thousand people. They all have cards and coins. And they're all doing their thing. They're all in tables. You know how convention magic conventions are. They're all excited. You mm-hmm. know, they're a lot of energy. And I'm just some dude. <laughs> Nobody knows. Uh, at that time. And uh, so Hibbert Gerling comes and sits with me and says, uh, and, "and says, all right. So uh, I asked him, I'm eating a hamburger and a Coke, by the way. And, uh, and uh, I said, so what, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? He says, you can go anywhere you want. You can do whatever you want. Okay. Uh, what's my schedule? Well, you don't really have a schedule. You, you know, if you can perform a little bit here, a little bit there, that's fine. Okay. He says, there's some people downstairs. We kind of have a formal thing going on for magicians doing close-up downstairs. You can do that, or you can, you can go anywhere you want. There's no limits. Uh, Well, you know, he's not really paying me. I'm not in the program. There's no, my name is not there anywhere. That's great. uh, How the hell am I going to attract attention? Right? So uh, in his mind, he was thinking I was just going to sit down and do magic for like three or four people at a time. I think that's what he thought. Uh, I don't know. I have to ask him, you know, I'll ask him when I meet him again. Uh, so I finished my hamburger and coke and I took out my mat. and but you know I'm kind of theatrical so I put my sound system I know how to street perform so I was already gather, gathering a crowd before I even started, I'm flicking cards up in the air, you know, and, uh, and I'm, I'm doing theatrical moves. And then I got a small crowd, and I start performing. Um, and, and then I had the mic too, so I started attracting more crowds. Uh, my first show was about 100 people so uh the word got around and uh uh, i realized there was not enough room so i went downstairs and uh who do i see sat in front of me his his, all his uh you know he came with a crowd and everybody said you have to go you have to watch this so they sat him in front of me it was juan tamariz
0: (laughs) oh wow i had juan tamariz
1: sitting face-to-face face with me looking like
0: this <laughs> <laughs> just right in front of you
1: yeah yeah and I started the show and that was really that was quite a pleasure yeah so then I I uh, started meeting a lot of famous magicians at the time I didn't know who they were but I started to learn who they were uh Luis de Matos was one of them he was great yeah, and and we we became friendly with each other that was amazing and there are some pictures you can pick them out you know uh, of of my audience Anyway, um, I started gathering a bigger crowd each night. Uh, I was doing about three or four shows a night, but I couldn't put them anywhere. So on the second night, I put them on the stairs before they go into the theater. Uh, so they're on a staircase, which makes a beautiful uh, uh, uprise theater. It's They can look down. Right, at, right, right. A little private theater, and I can I can fit about maybe 120 20 people on those stairs. Maybe, I don't know if it's that big, but it looked that big to me. But what, what the pictures don't show is I had them wrapped around me too. So there was like another 100 uh, uh, or so people behind me. So they were all around in a circle and um, and I'm doing card manipulation and, and uh, card magic and I'm doing the balls for mouth, I'm doing comedy, I'm doing juggling and of course um, uh, the empanada and I uh, finished with the coin menagerie because that's w- what the magicians loved. Um, and, and so they kept coming back to see the coin menagerie. And I remember some people thought I was using black art. I was not. Some people thought I had extra <laughs> coins or gimmicks. I was not.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. And uh, uh, that's, that's when uh, Johnny Thompson walked up to me and says, Hey, we didn't know each other at the time. He goes, Hey, Armando, can you do that? Just, just that one. I know you're finished with the show. and It's late. Can, Cause he just, uh, he brought his friend over to watch and just do that one move at the end. <laughs> so it was really funny. He'd asked me to just do, you know, the two cards. Wow. He,
0: thing. he, yeah, he just pinpoint that whole, that yeah, one thing yeah. from, from the whole act.
1: Right. Right. And, uh, so during the time that I'm getting all these crowds, somebody came to me and said, Hey, you know, it's not too late to enter the con- contest. You could enter the contest right now, you know? And I looked at him and I said, what could be better than this? And I turned around and showed him the crowd. And I said, what can be, what can top this in the competition? Really? Come on.
0: (laughs) Right, right. And he goes,
1: he he looked at the crowd and he goes, oh yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
1: So it was a really great experience and uh, it blew me away. And um, that's when I realized They taught me, it was that moment that I learned that what's missing for lay people is the education to appreciate our magic because the magicians of all people showed me the greatest appreciation more so than lay people. And I realized the reason is because they understand and that's what's missing in lay people's mind. They don't understand what we do. They don't, right. they don't know how, they don't even we begin
0: were. to understand how, like no, the depths no. of that experience that they had.
1: And even worse, they've been taught that what we do very often for many people, they've been taught that what we do is irrelevant, almost stupid sometimes, or just for kids, you know, uh, uh, movies have been using, you know, us as a punching bag, you know, to tell jokes, Oh, you're a magician. Oh, I'm dating a magician, all that stuff. Right. And the the interesting thing to me is while I'm studying magic, uh, I'm realizing that it rivals all the the, uh, the psychology that you study in in a univer in a university. Um, you know, mm-hmm. my friend Hugo Cafferati is is a um, neuroscientist, and he's devoted his life to studying magic and using it as a tool to unravel the mysteries of the mind. He believes that um, magic is the best tool for studying the mind right now. Wow. So it's contrary to what everyone really thinks. And we kind of, we, we are partly to blame for that, I believe because of the way we treat the magic sometimes in front of people. We, we sometimes diminish ourselves, you know, we don't even know we're doing it. Um, Yeah. It's like
0: that Max Maven saying is like the greatest achievement that the magicians in the 20th century did was to take something that's inherently profound and render it trivial. (laughs)
1: that <laughs> yeah, is so it's amazing per- isn't that per- he's so good at that he putting things in words like that max maven is oh, yeah. so clever that way yes I that, t- that's a brilliant love lady. that guy yeah that's so brilliant yes uh magic in the old days was dangerous because people uh, didn't understand it. And so if you did anything that they didn't understand, they, they're going to kill you maybe.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: And, and now it's it's like, you know, birthday parties <laughs> for little kids. Nothing, a, wrong, by a, the way, nothing wrong with that.
0: I have a feeling that that's fading with the rise of social media and YouTube, the amount of information that people get. I think that 10 years ago, I would, I would say that that's still a thought that people have, but I would say that because of the way information is distributed and content and all that, I think, yes. I feel like that is blessing. fading away. It's, 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 it's probably a mixed blessing in the way. So, so the next thing that we need to kind of combat is um, the video stuff, but that's, e- that's an easier problem than yeah, the oversized I mean- suits and, and bunnies, you know? So
1: I, uh, you know, people always ask me, uh, so are you worried about this stuff, you know, destroying magic? I go, you know, that's been happening for years. We just have to find a different way, a new way. We have to think differently. We have to adapt. That's all, Um, you know, uh, when, um, when people were using television, it was all new. And Mark Wilson, you know, revolutionized all that when he came out on TV, you know, I'm sure it was all new to him when he started, because there's nobody else to compare. I mean, who else? Right, was right, talking? right. And and then um, you know, then there was Doug Henning, and then uh, and then David Copperfield. Uh, and David Copperfield did a lot to change you know the way people thought, because he added the um, the sense of um, you know he elevated it uh, with the storytelling uh, and the uh, professionalism that he had, because he toured for a long time to get the show ready before he did it on television, which a lot of magicians, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of magicians who did television, they would rehearse just for the television show. So they didn't have it down for a whole year before they went on television. David, uh, I know David rehearsed like crazy. He was performing continuously until he had it down and then he would do the television show. So that's why it finally arrived. And then you have, uh, but that was really slick and professional. And of course, uh, you have a David Blaine who changed, uh, you know, everything by being real, you know, right. no scripted. just going out there and talking the way he normally talks. Uh, now we have a lot of, uh, uh you know, uh, people trying to do what David Blaine does, which is kind of funny. They they're trying to talk like him and be like him, but you know, it's him, <laughs> you can't, you can't be somebody else. You have to be yourself. And that was David Blaine. So he, uh. I remember uh, some of the magicians didn't understand him at first, especially the ones who were so polished and professional. They were going, uh, I don't understand. He has no script. He just goes out there and does it. But what, what the difference was is that people could relate to someone being real. And, and then he, instead of putting the, the focus, the camera focusing on him, they put the camera on the people's reaction.
0: Huge difference.
1: And that changed everything because the guy, you know, Joe beer Kent sitting uh on the couch, drinking a beer, watching TV and seeing himself goes, I can relate. <laughs> I know that guy. That right. guy's me. Yeah. Right,
0: right, right. That would have been me is the, the kind of thinking that, yeah, that goes through people's mind when they watch David Blaine. I think. Um, we spoke about different magicians just now, but there was one person I want to talk specifically about. Um, and you mentioned him briefly, Johnny Thompson, what, like, what were some of the lessons that you've learned from Johnny?
1: Uh, well, Johnny, Johnny was a, a good friend to me. Um, uh, and he kind of, you know, um, uh, it was like, you know, uh, we met and we started becoming, uh, uh, closer as we talked. And, uh, I, I know he had a lot of close friends. I, I was just one of many. Uh, but he always made the person he was with feel like he, they, you know, you're you the only one. <laughs> so that was his thing. He was very good at that. Um, uh, so uh, but he, uh, you know, uh, had some words of wisdoms that he could pass on to me. One of them was I remember he said, you have to earn your way to a gimmick. And I remember that. Uh, and, you know, what that means uh, like is that. that. Yeah, what that what that means is don't don't hide what you lack behind a gimmick you know, instead, you know, have something to offer and you and then use the gimmick to elevate that. So earn your way to a gimmick is talking about don't just, you know, use it uh, uh, as an excuse because you don't have any skills. Right. Learn to learn to um, elevate what you have with the gimmick, but don't depend on the gimmick alone. And that that was, you know, he had words of wisdom like that all the time. He would offer his words of wisdom, but he was very direct too. Like he would go, "What the fuck are you doing?"
0: <laughs> right. So, so he's not afraid to criticize if he doesn't like. No
1: something. way, no way. And you know, he's old school. Uh, I remember hearing uh, this story about him flying out somewhere to, you know, uh, uh, stop somebody from stealing his trick. And I, I said, "Hey, Johnny, is that true?" He goes, "Yeah, that's true." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? You don't know this story? Oh. No, I don't think I do. So somebody, w- uh, he heard that somebody was doing, uh, I, th- I believe a handkerchief trick of his. Uh, and they were taking full credit for it and performing it uh, uh, in their show. So Johnny got on a plane. He he told me he did this. Got on a plane, flew out there and, and was in the audience. And when the time came that the guy was going to do the trick and jo- and Johnny recognized it, he jumped up on stage <laughs> and he took it away from him. And broke it. And uh, he said, to he told me this. He said, next time I come back, if I see you do this again, I'm going to break more than the trick.
0: <laughs> wow. Wow. Different times, man.
1: Different time. Yeah. Yeah. Like who does that today, right? <laughs> no,
0: no, no. Nobody does that today. Wow.
1: Yeah. Just and Johnny, Johnny, you know, Johnny uh, helped a lot of people. Uh, Penn and Teller owe their show to Johnny Thompson.
0: Yeah. They openly say that as well.
1: Yeah. He created a lot of the stuff there, you know, the goldfish, uh, yep. piece, that's Johnny's, um, the floating ball that, that was a lot of Johnny's work. Um, so many things he taught them. Yeah. And they put in their show and they do give full credit to him, which I'm, yeah. really very happy about yeah,
0: yeah, no, absolutely. They, they couldn't praise them enough. Um, Johnny Thompson certainly has been a big anchoring kind of element, I think, in the creation of their act. So let's, let's talk of, we, we spoke about Johnny and, but what, what about Long Beach mystics? Like what, what was that? Like, how, how did that come about? Like, and what, what were some of the memories that you remember from that?
1: So uh, the first time I got introduced to Long Beach mystics was by a friend, Mark Kalen. So I, I was uh, about three and a half years older than Mark Kalen. And uh, as I was uh, a senior in high school, he was a freshman in my high school. So there were two magicians at the same school. It was mm-hmm. quite fun too, you know. So we would trade doing tricks and act like we were warring against each other. And we would start a of crowd in the high school. So that was kind of funny. Uh, and so I do a trick, and then uh, people would like cheer me on. And then he do a trick, and then they cheer him on. And then we would decide secretly who was going to win. So we, we were friends though.
0: Right, <laughs> so, right, right, right. So he right. would
1: like do the color changing knives, and then I would just think of a card, right, and uh, and then the people would cheer me on. And go, yeah, he won, right. And so that that was our high school experience but we were actually friends and uh he introduced me to the long beach Mystics. he said hey you want to go to this club it's in long beach and we we couldn't drive at the time so um uh we had some friends that would pick us up uh, and uh their older brother took us so we all go in this station wagon there were like four of us um and we would drive up to the long beach mystics um i think it was Milligan, I, I can't remember the name of the school uh, and it was just at a little school uh, and and they would, you know, kind enough to let us use the theater there at this school and um, we, we can invite parents, we can invite people to come and see what we were doing and it was just literally, mostly uh, young kids hanging out from nine to about 14 years old and with uh, a few adult supervision, you know, just a few people and um, and the president was always like a 16 year old kid who we thought was like a grown man, <laughs> which
0: right, funny, right, right,
1: right. Yeah. Uh, uh,
0: uh, who were there? Like who, who were the people who, who were present?
1: Uh, Dale Solwack. Uh, he was part of it. Um, uh, Ellen, Ellen, uh, uh, Stan Allen was there. Um, Bill Smith. Bill Smith was the president at one time. And, uh, and then there were people that came on later, uh, you know, that I missed after I left, and they joined. Uh, Mac, Michael Weber was there. Uh, I remember Michael Weber being shorter than me when I first got there because uh, he's younger than me, and then he got
0: really big. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Was and Mike Cavney part of? Mike Cavney was, he, was, was he there?
1: there. Yes, and Mike Cavney did a very, a very good thimble act. Um, and we gave notes to each other. We were kind of brutal that way. We were so, you know, we're kids, so we we're brutally honest with each other. So we have like these notes and we like, we destroy each other with these notes, like dude, you need to dress better and stop moving your hand this way. And uh, you're, you're totally exposing everything with your going into your pocket. Every time you try to grab something, you know, so stop it. You know, we were, we were brutal.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh,
1: and we got better, and you know, there's films of us uh, that that will show our work. So somebody's got you know uh, uh, old films of us uh, still. And um, uh, let's see, there there was um, Mark Mark Kalin, uh believe it or not, uh, started with the balls from mouth. That's where I got it from. He, he's the one. Oh no, May. Yeah, he okay. started the balls from mouth, and uh, then he put together the pool act. So. Uh, after the Pull Act, he he was the youngest guy to be in. Uh, it's amazing. The it's amazing show put on by the Magic Castle. Uh, he was uh, like sixteen years old, and then after that, somebody else beat him. Got was a much more younger person than him. But at the time, it was really enjoyable to watch him in the show. The it's amazing show. Uh, Did
0: that group dynamic uh, help each of you grow? You think?
1: Yes. So this is what I think. Looking in retrospect as to what that was, because people try to figure out all the time, why was that special? Because not all clubs produce so many magicians and we have a lot of magicians from that group. So what was the formula? Well, I think it was uh, part accidental, but there was some things that were happening there that uh, you know kind of um, uh, had the ingredients to, Uh, help make us who we are. It helps solidify us. The club served as a rite of passage to teach us how to deal with problems, working through problems in magic, but not just magic, but life in general. I mean, we have to find a way to get there. We have to Uh, learn how to talk we have to learn how to walk and we started you know evolving yes we were doing it so that we can play with magic but we were also learning so much on the way because of it and we we had to learn to put a show together so we're learning about business Um, we started to find ourselves more quickly because we were forced into these circumstances you know, some people would try to do comedy and then they realize they're not comedians. So they go, well, I guess I'm not going to do that anymore.
0: <laughs> right, right, right.
1: My jokes are bombing. Nobody likes it. And they're telling me so. Right. Then, then you have people, you know, uh, who are trying to do serious stuff, you know, but they don't have the look, you know, they may, they maybe they just look funny and they go, well, that's not going to work. I got to do funny. So, so they, they started discovering themselves, but, um, uh, it was a growing process where it solidified who we are as people. It gave us something uh, uh, that uh, taught us how to learn, how to, because uh, 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 the, the club was like an initiation. And then in, and after the initiation, the going every week was like a ritual. And so this whole process, you know, uh, w- was like a rite of passage, basically, and, uh, we're also earning our way to becoming, and then there's ceremony with every show that we do. We, we get, you know, we either get destroyed or we, or we get, uh, uh, we get, you know, applause, <laughs> right, and, right, right, right. And, and then eventually jobs started coming. I mean, we're just young kids and we're like, Oh, I'm working at this place. You know, there's only a 15 year old kid and he's working. Right. So that's, that's great. Yeah. That's and, great. And so uh, we, start, we just kept doing what we loved and then we started becoming professionals. And it was really interesting. Um, yeah, and uh, the competition was healthy. It was, uh, everybody wanted to be better, you know, uh, and, but it was a happy competition. It wasn't like a jealous competition. You know, we just wanted to improve. And so out of the club, uh, I believe we had the right ingredients for a strong rite of passage. I believe it's what the Boy Scouts is supposed to be, but we did it, you know, you know, the Boy Scouts is supposed to encourage. Yeah. Yeah. But we actually did it. We had all those ingredients, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and there was a lot of humor involved, too.
0: (laughs) I bet. I bet.
1: Oh, yeah. We always were like, you know, messing around with each other, you know, practical jokes all the time.
0: Yeah. So let's wrap up by talking about how, I mean, like what some of the teachings that you have recently made available um, because I feel like part of learning from you is just so much more than learning effects and explanation like in in the traditional way. It's the deeper understanding of magic psychology and the why it works and how it works kind of in conjunction and you have put that into multiple formats that kind of where, where, where things become shareable with students. So uh, can we talk about some of that?
1: Yeah. Uh, Anything specific or just. So you
0: got the hungry, the hungry imagination. Yes. Which is a, from what I understand, a subscription uh, membership website where you share a lot of your insights and your thoughts as well yeah. as performances
1: yeah I, I I came up with that because I want to share with people that are like me who are who are hungry for the things that I'm interested in because I thought um, when I was looking at other websites that offer magic um, they there was um, more interest in making money and nothing wrong with that by the way but there was more interest in making money from the general public. Uh, and so right. everything was uh, quick and easy. And uh, I'm not interested in that so much as, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. I want to know that stuff. And I realized there were, the, the sites didn't offer much for that. Uh, I didn't see much of that. So I thought, well, it looks like there's a, there's a hole here that I can fill for people like me. Uh, and so I put The Hungry Imagination together as sort of an academic approach for people who are interested in more than just, you know, quick and easy. Uh, they want to actually know the thinking behind it. And it's a more academic approach. Also to elevate and educate the magic so that people understand, including public, the public, understand that it's much deeper than they may have thought. Uh, there's There's a lot going on behind the magic. And... Uh, for example, um, all the thinking behind magic is also used in social media, uh, in uh, politics, in warfare, in, um, in many other areas, even in making fonts, as, as elusive as that may seem.
0: Uh, right, right, right.
1: Illusions are everywhere. Um, the ideas that uh, we use for deception can be utilized for all kinds of stuff and are. They are used. Um yeah, uh, I remember uh, sitting at a party and uh, I wrote it in an article because I thought it was really interesting. Uh, across the room, I heard the words, oh, I hate magic. And so I, my, my feeling was that somebody told him there was a magician in the room, which was me. <laughs> and so that's what I assumed. Maybe uh, it wasn't true. Maybe he just came up with it. But that's what I think happened. So lo and behold, not too long after, I happened to be finding myself sitting right across from him. So here we are sitting right across from each other. He doesn't know that I heard that. So I said, uh, so, uh, uh, hi, what do you do? So I, I wanted to get a feel for him. And he says, oh, I'm in advertising. And as I dug deeper, I found out he's not just any advertiser. He's the guy that teaches advertising. He's the guy that helps the advertising agencies. Like if they need help, they go to him because he's more into the science. Right.
0: Right. For- right. Right.
1: So I, uh, because I have um, some friends in advertising, I know that there's a hierarchy of colors for uh, certain environments. So I, I said right out, I go, do you, do you use a hierarchy of colors, a color system? So, you know what to do with specific environments when it comes to advertising, he goes, yes, yes, I, I do. And I could already tell, uh, he's wondering why I know this. Then I asked him, you know, uh, do you use primacy and recency? And so he was testing me and he says, uh, what is primacy and recency? I said, well, people tend to remember the first and last parts of a moment. So, and not so much the middle parts. And he goes, yes, we use that, and uh, we went on uh, to talk about the paradox of choice. uh, And and I said, so uh, it appears that you know uh, you use the, you know, he says, why do you know all this stuff? And I said, because I'm a magician, and we use all these tools. And uh, it it appears to me that you use all the same tools too. And you know, you you uh, push sales by using the paradox of choice, and I force cards you know, by using the paradox of choice, it's the same thing. I said, and if you're a magician, then do you hate yourself? <laughs> and you could see his face change. It was funny because he knew I got him. He knew that I set him up, but it was fun. Like he, he enjoyed it. That was it. funny. Yeah, he enjoyed it. He knew that I got him and he, he could not deny what happened. He, he, he could not disagree with anything he said because he would have to disagree with everything. Every, with everything about him because he just you know he, he already is, is validated everything for me so he can't go backwards he'll look like a fool right so
0: yeah that's great
1: yeah that's so great. I set him up and I got him and uh in a way it was like it was fun to do you know and and he enjoyed it so I'm very happy that he enjoyed it It could have gone the other way but he did enjoy it so that was funny he, right, he had right, no words right, right. he was like in shock and he was just smiling back. <laughs>
0: That's great. And that was written up in an article in The Hungry Imagination.
1: Yeah, one of the articles. Uh, which one was it? Um, oh, it, it was on um, which article? I forget the name of the article I, I wrote it in. Anyway, it's one of the essays. Uh, I yeah.
0: So, yeah. So if you're if you're listening and you're interested in checking out more of Armando's insights and his work, check out the hungry imagination.com. And there's also, um, occasionally you offer private workshops and teachings uh, yeah, on so. your more performance work and some, some of your deeper work in person yeah. and both virtually.
1: Yes. Yes. So, you know, if people want to, uh, study with me, uh, uh, personally, then they, they can just go to com and, uh, sign up for a workshop there, and uh, right now I'm just doing the one-on-one, uh, which is actually I think preferable. Um, which I've,
0: I've done, and I have to say, like it's shifted the way I see magic and the way I kind of work on magic in in, in a way that is so much more beyond, you know, the things that you, you you would think you're learning on the surface. So, for anyone who's like ready to dive deeper on their magic journey, I highly recommend it. So it's ArmandoLucero.com. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of people come to me and they go, well, what am I gonna learn? Uh, am I gonna learn secrets? I go, Well, you know, I, I always have to tell people secrets, all secrets are vulnerable. They will they they will not survive very long. They, they have a they have their moments and then eventually, you know, they just get discovered and shared, and then everybody knows them. And that's the way it goes all the time. Uh, so it's not it's not the secrets I'm sharing so much. It's it's um, the thinking behind the magic, and uh, also my time. I'm sharing my time, so uh, that is the parts that are most unique. So uh, I know everybody thinks it's the secret, but it's not the secret so much. I, yeah, I don't know how it's so much. Enough.
0: Yeah, it's it's much much beyond secrets, and it's also teaching how to how to learn, teaching how to think, and just to kind of get a glimpse of the depth in which you apply these thinking into your work, I think is, you know, that is one of the keys there. Um, but yeah, so thank you very much for today's conversation.
1: Yeah, oh, You're welcome. Feels like we were just hanging out and talking.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the point. All right. I'll talk to you later, Armando.
1: All right. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye Bye-bye.